0: So this is Sight & Sound's podcast. We're gonna take a bit of a dive into this year's Sheffield Doc Fest. I'm Kelly Weston. I am a writer for Sight & Sound and also for The Skinny. And I'm here with... Sophie Brown. <laughs> I am a film program advisor for
1: film festivals and I also write for Sight and & Sound. And I write a monthly non-fiction essay, tiny letter, Docktooth. Great.
2: Simmer Hans, Hands, I'm a writer and a film critic for The Observer.
3: Ben Nicholson, a freelance film writer who specialises mostly in documentary.
2: Um, So
0: this year was my first Sheffield, and it was lovely. Um, I spent a lot of time with a couple of people here. (laughs) But I wanted to um, ask you guys, because you're all sort of veterans, um, how did this year shape up for you against past years? Do you think, I don't know, does it seem like this year's films were more experimental or...?
1: I think Luke Moody did an an excellent Mm. job
0: with the film programme this year
1: and I think it's just going to get better. This year were the best shorts I've seen in a long Mm. time and the programme was really upping its game with the non-fiction cinema aspect and filmmakers, they had films by filmmakers telling their own stories which I think is something that has been lacking in the film festival before.
2: I mean it's kind of an interesting one because Sheffield is a really kind of commercial festival, it's got a market, it's got a massive international presence, it kind of comes at the end of the documentary festival calendar, Mm -hmm. if you're thinking about it from um, IDFA in November to Sundance in January and then Berlin and True-False, CPH Docs, Hot Docs, and then Sheffield. Mm-hmm. I mean, there are many more, but those are kind of the temple ones. So it tends to be a kind of best-of-the-fest sort of roundup up situation. But um, because it's a public-facing festival as well as an industry one, I think a lot of the choices tend to be quite mainstream, quite issue-based, um, have a lot of commercial potential, things that might then later screen on like terrestrial TV channels like... Um, ITV or BBC or um, it's not terrestrial but Sky and so it was interesting to kind of have that understanding of what Sheffield is and then go this year and see like Sophie said all of these really experimental interesting very kind of formerly ambitious films playing really well to um, massive audiences. Yeah. So I think it did feel like a special year. And, and yeah, um, big shout out to to Luke Moody mm. for kind of wielding that programme in that way.
3: Yeah, I mean, it's the, clearly the reason that Luke was brought in was to do that, right? Was, you know, because his background is in creative non-fiction. You know, his his interest is the kind of films he likes. So it def- this year definitely felt like his stamp was on it a bit more than last year. The Visions was really strong last year, the Visions mm-hmm. strand, which is the ex- more experimental strand. But this year definitely felt like that was branching out into the other strands a bit more. So it's, I certainly felt like it was there was a wider variety of more challenging and creative, formally um, documentary this year than previously.
0: Absolutely, and I think um, as someone who, you know, consumes a lot of documentary films um, but hasn't really reviewed a lot of them until quite recently, I thought this year was really interesting and strong because even some of the, I think, you know... The films that are, are a bit weaker, or I guess you want to say so-called problematic, are still really fascinating films, so hopefully we'll talk a little bit about those. And yeah, you know, typically I think the landscape for um, documentary films, as far as it, it concerns those more popular ones, they tend to be either true crime or biopics. So this is, I think, a really interesting year to me, will... Talk a little bit about not. Well, we won't have time to like make it through all of them, unfortunately. But I think we'll just pick out some of the ones that we all saw that we think maybe have some sustainability. So uh, let's get into the first one, Minding the Gap. It won the New Talent Award for director Bing Liu and also the Audience Award at Sheffield, and this was great. So. I'll do just a little summary and let you guys uh, go off (laughs) about how you felt about it. It's basically about uh, Bing Liu's two friends, Keir and Zach, um, and they all sort of come from a volatile family life uh, background, and they sort of bond over skateboarding. But the film itself uh, becomes about toxic masculinity um, and also about just grappling with childhood traumas. It takes place in Rockford, Illinois, which has an exceptionally high crime rate. Um, and domestic violence accounts for a third of that crime rate and that's a huge part of the
2: film um, so I was wondering how you all felt about this film in particular I mean I can jump in first I saw this film at Hot Docs um, maybe a month or so ago and I'm obsessed with it I haven't stopped thinking about it it's so touching and moving and it's this story about men told from, from a male perspective and yet the lens is so gentle and mm. there's so much empathy and kind of understanding and a, a willingness to confront things, but also um, attention in in that confrontation. So to without wanting to kind of spoiler the way the film twists and, and reveals new layers of itself as it kind of pushes along, it's kind of about this dynamic between these three boys and how that dynamic shifts when... One of them becomes aware of some really bad behavior that mm. another one is doing, and it recontextualizes their friendship mm. and the way they kind of see each other, and links in with some of the experiences that the filmmaker has had with his own family. Mm. And so, the subtleties of that, and, and the ways in which we kind of turn a blind eye to stuff that is uncomfortable, and, and the way the film makes that explicit and makes it visual is really interesting to me and really delicately handled. I really like, I'm not surprised that it won the Audience Award. That's great. I was bawling my eyes out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah,
0: I think it's, it's, um, it's a really, really sensitive, earnest film um, that sort of explores these cycles of abuse and I have to say, like, I fell in love with Kier, who's one of the boys in the film. I should, we should also, I guess, say the, of this group of young men, Zach is, is one of them who's white, Bing is Asian, and Kier is black. And the film also, I think, um, does a really good job of talking about race and class,
2: all kinds of issues. But it, you're right, it's a really, like, sensitive film. Just on, on the issue of race, I mean, the film is is really interesting in the way it handles the character of Keir mm. and, you know, him being the only black kid in their yeah. group of friends. But it's quite interesting how it evades being kind of really dealing with his Asian-ness. Yeah. It doesn't really go into that. And I mm. thought that was maybe interesting that that was not how it was positioning his part of the story.
0: Yeah, I wonder if, I mean, being himself, I I don't know if he's ever been asked about this or has talked about it at all, I I was really struck by, there's one particular moment in the film where Keir is sort of standing away from all of his friends while they watch a video that um, is quite racialized humour, and it's it's really... um, interesting moment, but you're right, he doesn't have that same moment of reflection or maybe he he just, to him it's not relevant to the story that he's trying to tell. But, yeah, we can move on to another film that I thought was really interesting, Hale County, this morning, this evening. Um, It's a debut from director Ramel Ross. And this is a film that means so much to me, but I will, um, everybody has uh, seen this film. So I'll let everybody weigh in. But basically, it is uh, Ross's exploration of the so quiet moments in the life of, or in the lives of, two young teenagers, uh, Daniel Collins, who's a student at uh, Selma University in Hale County, Alabama, and Quincy Bryant, who's a father and husband. He already has a young toddler, and his wife, Boozy, is about to have fraternal twins. And this film is quite like, it reminded very much of General Orders Number 9, or it's very Terrence Malick-esque as well. But I also thought it was a really original, refreshing, um, just really quiet and optimistic. Documentary, despite the fact that there are some some moments of sadness. What do you guys think?
1: I really enjoyed how it was so poetic Mm -hmm. and a really beautiful observational piece of filmmaking uh, that you rarely get to see, specifically like about African American lives, because usually the story is about suffering, and Mm -hmm. it felt refreshing to see a piece of work that was focusing on people just living their lives.
0: Mm
3: Yeah, I mean, I just, I love the style of it. Terence Malick is a very apt comparison, but it's just the kind of associational montage that he uses mm. that, that just, yeah, mesmerised me. So, you know, he he doesn't follow narrative in a traditional sense in any way, really, but it's particularly the use of, like, match cuts. Um, so cutting from the, the haze on, like, a disco floor with the the lights coming through to the mist outside a school playground so the images have this relation to one another that Mm. don't exist with the image on their own but they they sort of compound this meaning going on and on and yeah I mean it's enormously powerful in some.
0: I was also really struck by the intimacy of the film as well there's so many moments that he manages to capture without um, his subjects so to speak like not even registering it so you're in a sense you feel as though you're not watching a film a lot of times but that you're actually in a room with mm-hmm. people yeah. there's something really beautiful about that it's like you said it's quite poetic it's really lyrical I that love scene it with the
3: little kids yes, so, yes.
0: <laughs> there been a great um, moment of this toddler just <laughs> I mean, running back and forth in and out of focus and you are not bored at all it's just it's,
3: people just kept laughing it's deli- kept- yeah Kept going on, people kept laughing.
0: And there's also a great moment where this is a group of girls um, sort of silhouetted in the night singing Etta James uh, I'd rather go blind, which is really,
2: really poignant for some reason to me. Simran, thoughts? I really like this film, <laughs> and I think Ramel has I don't know if ramel described it as this or somebody else did. I can't remember where I heard this, but um this film has been talked about as kind of a poeticization of the black banal um Mm -hmm. which I find a really interesting way of thinking about it because it is these kind of mundane day-to-day small moments and you're right some of them are really moving and really poetic and some of them are just kind of nothingy but not in a way that isn't interesting to watch but just in a way that doesn't have this like Juicy narrative hook or or like Sophie was saying earlier it's not about suffering it's about the in between moments and I think yeah it's it's a special film um, and I'd love to see it again
0: Um, and you know just one more thing both of you are absolutely right I think it's important to say that black people in film do not often get a chance to be normal and and to you know sort of be captured living their lives it's also really important that this is a film that is set in Alabama which is a lot of descriptions are basically like oh it's it's the black belt which is you know a reference to the soil but also has connotations of Alabama's History was slavery, so, and of course Daniel's going to um, Selma University, which is a historically black college. He also talks at one point about missing this huge celebration um, of the march across the Edmund Puttus Bridge, uh, where he started talking about, yeah, Oprah was there, I missed Oprah. <laughs> um, but it's, it's, just, it's a really beautiful film, it's really special, and I, I hope this, at the moment, I don't think this has distribution here yet, I may be wrong.
3: I don't think so. Basically, yeah. But given something else we're going to come onto, there's a very, there's a lot of similarity in terms exactly. of the style. Exactly. So you would hope that yeah. someone. If, if the other film does well. Fingers crossed. Yeah. 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 Uh,
0: um, the it. other film I think you're referring to is Black Mother. Is, yeah. yeah. So, <laughs> Black Mother has had a bit of an interesting trajectory. I want to say that it premiered at True False.
2: Yeah.
0: And I think it was received quite well there. It did not have the smoothest outing at Sheffield. Um, we don't have to get too deep into it, but um, there we was... We should a... talk about it, though. Yeah, I mean, we, yeah, we'll talk about the film, um, but there was a controversial screening with a um, live score from Geica, which I think really coloured the way that a lot of people saw the film if they were seeing it for the first time. Did you see it with the live score for the first time? I did not, no. Okay. Um, But a lot of people were seeing it for the first time with the live score, and that screening completely cut the dialogue, which is a very crucial part of the film. The film is quite literary, but it has... Not enjoyed the same kind of reception that it got at True False. I think people are feeling a little bit more complicated about it. So I'm curious to hear everybody else's thoughts on Black Mother.
3: I I really like it. Um, I've seen it a couple of times now. So I saw it at, I played Frames of Representation Mm. in London um, earlier in the year. And I saw it there. I think that it is problematic. There are elements of it. I think stylistically it's incredible. I think Mm. his colleagues own personal style which is transferring through from his previous photography work and film work is very unique although I say that having then just seen Hale County and thought oh that's very similar but when I first saw Black Mother and when I I first saw his other work and but I do think there are elements of this which he has kind of chosen not to engage in the dialogue with really um, in the film particularly the representation of women particularly Mm -hmm. misogyny within Jamaican society absolutely which he I spoke to him at Frames of Representation, and he talks about the idea of of the soundtrack and the visual track being different real estate, and how he wants to use the two things to say different things. And I think there are there are times in that film when he he is trying to juxtapose images and audio to make a point, and I think there are other times when that point doesn't come across necessarily and the images speak very loudly of something different to perhaps what he was intending, yeah. or perhaps even that he hasn't really engaged with some of those issues. I mean, I, I, on the whole, I do love it, um, as I say, particularly the style, and it's, again, very poetic, and the audio is amazing, mm. um, and his, his eye is amazing for the visuals.
1: I think it's a deeply personal film, and I had the opportunity to talk to him for quite a long time at CPH Docs about it, for an interview that will be in sight and sound later this year when it's released. And a lot of what, to me, Black Mother felt like a tapestry of voices that kind of weaves through different perceptions of Jamaica. And it is a, a personal love letter to his maternal family in Jamaica and about his grandfather. And it starts off with these external sort of perceptions of Jamaica and then goes deeper into the personal heart of it and so from the conversation that we had it was very much an act of love and his sort of spiritual feelings uh, trying to trying to be an act of healing as well and I think his idea with it was trying to make a lot of connections between people and I well, I think it, his filmmaking approach is a really dynamic, exciting new language in film, and it definitely is poetic in a way that is like a film poem. Mm. Um, but also, I think he talks in this interview a lot about the process and things not being uh, static, but a process of becoming. And I think that is something that you see in Black Mother. Mm.
2: I uh, I really love this film. I saw it at True False and I I can kind of see the ways in which some of its attitudes have maybe rubbed people the wrong way. I think it's fair to point out the particular misogynoir um and like the way it handles the sort of theme of black women and black women's bodies and these kind of images of a nude pregnant uh, black woman as well and, and maybe for a bit of context if, if people are listening and they haven't seen the film it's about Cali who's mixed race half Jamaican goes back to Jamaica and um, he's a portrait photographer and so he takes all of these like Gorgeous portraits of people on the streets, people he knows, his family, people he's just met, and a lot of it is recorded on Super 8 cameras and it's sort of stitched together in this associative way. And then the audio from the interviews that he does with people is, as Ben says, Mm unsynced. So there is a kind of interesting dissonance that forces you to pay attention because you can't expect to zone out and still follow along mm. and it's more about mood it's much more about mood and um, and yeah so, so like I say there are these elements about it and some of the thematic things that it, it looks at that are quote unquote problematic but I don't really see that as a problem in the film I think it's Like Sophie said, a very personal film about his life, about his experience, about his family and about the way he sees the world. And I don't think he's trying to create a definitive document of what Jamaica is supposed to be about or what Jamaican culture should be idealised as. I think it's about his personal relationship to the country, to the people, to the relationships that he has there. And so I didn't feel that the sexism, if you want to call it that, was. it didn't feel jarring to me because it just felt like uh, an extension of how he was honestly confronting these attitudes. You're right in the sense that it wasn't challenged, but I don't know if documentary has a responsibility to do that work.
0: Yeah, and I I really like this film. You mentioned the ISF because we'd had this conversation off camera or tape. I also don't think that the film is sexist. I don't think that he's coming from a place of any sort of malice. And I I do find it endlessly fascinating, especially stylistic choices. The problem for me is I think so much of the film is sort of wrapping up black femininity in this spiritual language that isn't really challenged, especially considering that Throughout the film, you know he doesn't really—he sort of excludes transgender and queer women. So, in a sense, he is on the one hand. I agree with you, Sophie, that this is a kind of like love letter to his home, to his maternal heritage, um, and he is speaking about black women and the in black women's bodies in these terms of like purity and wholeness, and you know he's very much centralizing their bodies. But to me, that's problematic given Jamaica's history, which is also sort of unraveled in the narration, and Jamaica's politics surrounding the LGBTQ community. So it's an interesting one. To me, it's a really transgressive film stylistically, um, but the message to me is just ultimately really conservative. And I also don't think that the uh, black women in the film aren't allowed to exist outside of these terms that he's created for them. Yeah, I just good. had something to add. Another
1: thing that he was talking about was that the idea of Black Mother was a lot to do with the funeral of his grandfather mm-hmm. and creating this like connective circle of life, basically, of his granddad sort of going into nothing and the womb, and that was the idea yeah. around that.
3: There's just one other thing that he, he did mention when I met him at Frames, and that was that he did find it very hard to speak to women. As in that they would not speak to him. Oh. So, it just along the idea mm. of whether they are given the opportunity to exist outside of the male gaze that yeah. they they perhaps are portrayed in by certain voices in the film. Um, I think there is an element there of ultimately he he was just walking the streets, meeting people, taking photos, and people were le- they were less likely to stop and speak to him and give him sort of time of day. So it, there perhaps is there are other more practical reasons for that as well as those that he's bringing to it as a director.
0: Again, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think the film has distribution here, so it's being um, distributed yeah. by a Dog Wolf. Yeah. I don't think it's found distribution in the States yet, but it's definitely one to keep an eye on. I think it's really interesting. Uh, yeah, so I just also, because we have five more minutes, I want to see if you guys have any particular um, unsung gems that you want to talk about, films that have not necessarily gotten a lot of coverage but meant a lot to you or that you liked a lot.
3: Uh, I've got a couple that will never be distributed, no. <laughs> um, but if people are at festivals, the two very abstract documentaries called Arboretum Cycle and Sleep Has Her House, which are both sort of portraits of nature in the light, is probably the best way to. One of them is plants and trees in the garden of the filmmaker, but shot in sort of extreme close up, so you can't necessarily make out what they are as objects. You just have the kind of flowers and blossoms and and. The filmmaker just racks the focus and the aperture on his camera and Mm -hmm. changes the amount of light and focus on the image and just creates these sort of hypnotic, hallucinatory collages of light, effectively. It is very long (laughs) and um, a bit of a trip. But the the other one, uh, Sleep Has a House, uh, by a Welsh filmmaker called Scott Barley, is sort of landscapes in the dark just slightly illuminated by dawn and dusk light or by lightning as a storm slowly builds across the course of the film. There is no narrative, there is no story, there is no explanation, there is just this sort of dark landscape and it is terrifying and amazing.
2: Um, I'd like to shout out a film that does have distribution but isn't coming to streaming platforms until later this year. Um, it's a film called Shirkers. It's mm-hmm. by a director called Sandy Tan. It's a, a kind of feature debut, but she has been making short films for a while. And the story is is really kind of incredible. I mean, everybody says this about documentaries. It's kind of a cliche, oh, it's an incredible true story. Yeah. <laughs> but um, basically this woman from Singapore, she's a teenager, she made a film shot it on 16mm, roped in all her friends, had her film tutor be the director, and she wrote and starred in it. They shot the film, everything went well, and then he was supposed to go away with the reels and get them processed while the rest of the cast and crew sort of split up and had their summers away. And then he took all the canisters of film, 70 canisters of 16mm film, and he left and disappeared without a trace. So she spent 20 years of her adult life having this project that she worked on that was lost and kind of reckoning with it and leading a completely different life than one that she would have had that film kind of Mm. been with her. And then, 20 years later, the Reels show up. Mm. And so it's kind of a collage of this lost film which is beautiful and colourful and weird and idiosyncratic and Weirdly has loads in common with a bunch of American indie films that came out of the 90s that were sort of contemporaneous And she was okay. a big cinephile as well. Exactly, and came a little bit later than, than what she had shot And it, it's kind of looking at the film and what it might have been But also this mystery of what happened and all of her relationships and it's funny. It's personal It's stunning visually and uh, yeah, it's really worth keeping an eye on Netflix for that to pop up later on the, in the year. I want
0: second to second a shout out to Shirkers because Shirkers is phenomenal. It's also really nostalgic in a way. I loved watching it because it's like remembering, especially if you don't grow up in a city that's like a hub of the film industry, the love that you have for films, the way that you like go and seek out films. It's really beautiful and it's really personal. But yeah, Shirkers watch
1: out. Yeah, I would second that too, just because it's a hell of a ride, Mm. (laughs) and you rarely get these really fun, culty films in the non-fiction world, and it's so interesting with the way that she is really disarmingly frank with how she talks to her friend, her friends from the past and examines those friendships and then examines herself and goes beyond their expectations of what she's going to say about herself. Mm-hmm. And I think those intimate relationships are really interesting and important to see. I also would really like to talk about America, mm. which is going to have distribution in the UK. But it's, it's such a fantastic, tender observational film about 93-year-old grandmother called America who falls out of bed and because she, this happens when her son who's looking after her, who's charged with neglect and so he's put into prison and so these three brothers get together, I mean her grandchildren get together to look after her and it's such a rare portrayal of care in a really intimate way and the way the brothers all fight about how to look after her and whether she's that conscious or not. And there are really interesting observations of how care can kind of go into a grey area of something that looks like abuse. Mm. But the way that it's filmed is just so poetic and caring and Done with such a loving eye that those ideas around consent with nonfiction—that's uh, sort of really thought about by the filmmakers.
0: Great. Well, thank you, everybody, for your time. Um, and yeah, definitely look out for those films. I also want a second America, Shirkers, Black Mother is coming here, and hopefully Hale County uh, will also soon find distribution because it's—it's it's, there's nothing wrong with it. It's basically perfect. So yeah.